And Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with the good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. All right, good morning. What a great day, amen? I want to remind us as a church that uh, if God is just as passionate about people after baptism as he is before baptism, the church needs to be the same way. Uh, So to witness a baptism, just like witnessing a wedding, is more than seeing something with your eyes. It is a commitment with our own hearts that we are, we're joining the journey with these people. So uh, take the time to get to know the four who were immersed this morning, know their names. If you want to send them a note, you can send it to the office and we would be happy to send that on uh, for you. Uh, We're in a season right now where we're anticipating there's a lot of anticipation in the month of December. There's anticipation about getting out of school, or, and that's for students and teachers, right? We're anticipating the presence under, under trees. We're anticipating some of the meals that people cook only around the holiday season. We're anticipating uh, ball games. Some of you, uh, there, I, I just hear there was a movie that came out the last few days that people had been anticipating for a long time. Um, there's a lot of anticipation this time of year. And um, there are times when a revelation from God will come to a heart and enter into a heart, even though that heart is not asking for a revelation from God. Um, So there are times throughout the Bible and there are times in some of your lives where you were not asking from a word from God, you weren't seeking it, but God came and he broke into your life. But there are also times throughout scripture and in some of your lives where what happens is anticipation precedes revelation. And what I'm talking about with revelation, it's when God speaks to your mind or your heart or God speaks directly to you or God speaks through someone else to you. It's the opening of a heart. It's just God revealing who he is, his character, his nature, his truth. Um, And there are times when anticipation precedes revelation. That anticipation comes before revelation. That there needs to be a heart that is seeking after the things of God. And then God begins to reveal things. Uh, If you will, open your Bibles this morning to Luke chapter 2. I want to spend just a little time in uh, Luke 1 and 2 this morning. And I want to begin with, uh, in Luke chapter 2 verse 25. You got a guy named Simeon. We aren't given his age. Uh, We don't know if he's sick. But what you're going to hear this morning is that there was a word from God that came to him that he would not die until he saw the salvation of God entering into the world. Luke chapter 2 verse 25. At that time, there was a man in Jerusalem named Simeon. And here's his description. He was righteous and devout and he was eagerly waiting. He was anticipating for the Messiah to come and rescue Israel. 
All right, so right there. He's righteous, devout, and he's anticipating. He's not just anticipating anything. It's, he's anticipating that when the Messiah comes, that the Messiah is bringing liberation and freedom and deliverance, rescue from Israel. The Holy Spirit was on him and had revealed to him that he would not die until he had seen the Lord's Messiah. And that day the Spirit led him to the temple. So when Mary and Joseph uh, came to present the baby Jesus to the Lord as the law required, Simeon was there. And he took the child in his arms and he praised God saying, Sovereign Lord, now let your servant die in peace. As you have promised, I have seen your salvation, which you have prepared for all people. He is a light to reveal God to the nations. In some of your versions, it's to reveal God to the Gentiles. And he is the glory of your people Israel. So Simeon realizes that when the Messiah comes, the Messiah is not putting anything in between Israel and all these other people. It's a bridge builder. This Messiah, this is a message that's going to the ends of the earth. Verse 33, Jesus' parents were amazed at what was being said about him. And then Simeon blessed them. And I laugh at this so many times because if somebody spoke this baby blessing over my kids, I think I would punch them in their face, all right? He's speaking truth, though. Then Simeon blessed him, and he said to Mary, the baby's mother, the child is destined to cause many in Israel to fall, but he will be a joy to many others. He has been uh, sent as a sign from God, but many will oppose him. And as a result, the deepest thoughts of many hearts will be revealed, and a sword will pierce your very own soul. How's that for a baby blessing, right? So he speaks his word of truth over them. And here's the thing that really captures me about Simeon. Right, so he's anticipating the movement of God. And when that movement comes, when there is a revelation in his life of the Messiah coming into the world, he rushes to the temple to embrace what God is doing with great hope and joy. But here's the thing about Simeon. He's not begging God in this moment to see the, the finished product. He's not asking for God to see exactly how this salvation is going to play out. The fact that he just got to see a little bit of the movement of God was enough for him. He didn't know what would happen with all the miracles and Jesus like transforming leper colonies and reaching out to the marginalized and those on the, the fringes and bringing in Jews and making a way where Gentiles are going to come to know him and how Jesus is going to die on the cross and rise again after three days. Simeon wasn't aware of all of that. He was aware of prophecies. He just needed to see the needle being moved a little bit, the movement of God, the unfolding story of God. And I think this is really good for some of you in this room. Because some of you would love to see, and you are asking God to show you what the full picture of your future, or 2018, or what's it going to be like. You want to know what it is when maybe we can take a lesson from Simeon today, and we're just asking, God, give me a glimpse of your movement and your activity, and I'm going to praise you for it. There are times, if you're like me, there are times where I come before God and I'm like, God, I need you to show me, give me something more clear. Show me what this is going to look like, a future job, a relationship. Give me a, give me a clear depiction of what it's going to be like. And when you do, I will praise you with all my heart, mind, soul, and strength. Let me see a better picture of what it is, and I'm going to let loose and praise you, God. I may even get a little charismatic and raise my hands. Maybe not in a worship service, but in my car, God, I'm going to let loose for you. And I think a lot of times what God is saying, hey, I want you to praise me. And I want you to worship me and honor me for who I am. And as you worship me and direct your eyes to me and seek me and anticipate my movement, I will make some things more clear about your future. Now, it may not be the clarity that you desire. But first you worship me. And then your eyes will be able to see more clearly of what God is doing. 
Simeon anticipates the movement of God and he catches a glimpse of what this salvation is going to look like. Now here's something I find to be really interesting in Luke, Luke 1 and 2, how Luke tells the birth story of Jesus. Mary, we aren't given her age, but I think most assume, and it's probably safe to assume, she was a young teenage girl, 13, 14, 15. Joseph may have been a little older. Every other character in Luke 1 and 2 are elderly people. It's older people or anticipating the movement of God. They're correctly and faithfully anticipating what God is going to do. In Luke chapter 2, you have Simeon, who's anticipating God, and he's anticipating this movement with great hope and great joy. After him, you have a woman named Anna, who were given her age. She was 84, who has been spending her whole life at the temple since the time she became a widow. She had been married seven years. Her husband died. Then she lived at the temple, just praising God, anticipating the movement of God. And then in Luke 1, you have Zechariah, and you also have Elizabeth. And what you're told about Zechariah, Elizabeth, and Anna, it's not just that they're old. Your Bible says they are very old. They're old, old. <clears throat> but you also see in Luke 1 and 2 that there's, I think there's a reason why it's the older people who are anticipating the movement of God. And the way I want to talk about it is correctly and faithfully anticipating the movement of God. Because I could name names, and some of you in this church, you can name names too, of older people in the life of this church who are in this room right now, who are faithfully anticipating what God is going to do and what God will do. And by that, it draws us all closer to Jesus. And I think it's also a word for those of you who are older than old or old, or anybody who has a younger generation under them to take seriously what it means for you to faithfully anticipate what it is God is doing. Because any younger generation, under any of us, no matter your age, they don't need you to, to speak into them over and over again how broken the world is or how bad the world is. They need older people telling them over and over again how gracious and faithful and amazing our God is. That's how they need to see us anticipating what it is God is doing. Because to be committed to the ideas of God and being committed to God, those are not the same things. It's not just being committed to the things of God. It's that people need to see us committed to God. Anticipating what it is God's going to do. How God's salvation's breaking into the world. How his liberation and freedom is coming. So... I see this connection, even in the birth narrative of Jesus, between anticipation and commitment, between anticipation and recommitment, that we are anticipating what it is God may do as we commit and recommit our lives to God. Um, now, how does this sometimes work? And I, I wrestled with this over the last couple of weeks. How does this move from uncommitted to committed work? And how does this move from committed to deeply committed work? Uh, let, let's begin by talking about commitment and conversion. Uh, I had a, a guy, I was about to preach a sermon, and uh, this was probably 10 or 11 years ago. I was preaching at a church in Houston, and I, I, I had a sore throat this day, and the song before my sermon, I rushed to the back to get a sip of water from the water fountain, and when I did, this gentleman, young man, came into the foyer, and he saw me, and I introduced myself. He said, my name is Gabriel. I said, my name is Josh. I, he said, do you have a minute to talk? I said, man, I have to preach in like two minutes. He said, are you the preacher here? I said, yes. And he looked at me kind of funny and he was like, how many preachers do you have? And I was like, just one. He said, are you sure you're not the youth minister here? And I was like, no, man, I'm, not, I'm really the preacher. I said, what brought you here? He said, I haven't been to church since my grandmother took me when I was a young child. And last night, the Lord gave me a dream and told me it was time for me to wake up and get myself in a church. 
And he said, I just started scrolling through the phone book and calling churches. And yours was the first voicemail that told me what time your service started and where your church is located. So I'm here and I think I need to know who Jesus is. And we went through the worship service and I reconnected with him afterwards. And I I said, man, how about you and I start meeting once a week where we can just talk about faith in Jesus and we can read the Bible together. And he said, that'd be great. I said, you picked a place. He said, okay, we're going to meet at Waffle House once a week. I'm like, I'm not anti-Waffle House, all right? I like like Waffle House, but I just don't think about discipleship and Waffle House going together. But God can show up in any place, right? So for a week, once a week, for a year we met. And seeing his process to surrendering his life to Jesus took about a year and a half. There are times he would call me and he'd say, man, I think I'm ready to surrender. And then the next day he would call me and he's like, no, man, because the more I read Jesus, the more I see Jesus is calling people into something more than a conversion moment. And there are some things in my life I'm not ready to let go of yet. It was about a year and a half before he surrendered his life to Jesus and got many things in his life right. All right. So some of you, your conversion story, or how you came to commit yourself to God, maybe was a process like that. Maybe it wasn't a year and a half. Maybe it was decades. But then I had a friend from high school. I haven't seen this guy since we were in high school back in the 90s. He was two years older than me. And he looked me up on Facebook just a few weeks ago. And he, he said, Josh, I'm coming through Memphis. I've read your book. I jump on your podcast and listen to, uh, listen to some of your sermons. I'm coming through Memphis. Can I sit down with you? And I remember this guy from high school. We play ball together. And he was one of those guys, I think when he graduated, I, I think he may have been, uh, voted like the friendliest person in our school, knew every social butterfly, but just went, around, went along with whatever crowd was there. I don't remember this guy having a heart for the Lord. And, and here he was wanting to meet with me to talk about how God had been cultivating his heart for Jesus. And, and we sat down just a couple of weeks ago. We met here in, in Memphis for breakfast. I said, man, how did you, how'd you come to know the Lord? He said, man, in my late 20s, I got into meth. And then I, I was put in prison. And he said, one night I decided to go to a worship service and this chaplain opened up the gospel to me and it just ripped my heart apart. He said, I wept and that night I knew Jesus was for me and it was time and I surrendered my life to Jesus and was baptized there in that prison. And ever since, I'm just, I, just wanna, I just wanna reach out. I wanna be a light to the world. It's crazy how it works, right? Some of you may have a story like my friend Joe who reached out to me a couple weeks ago. Well, for you, your conversion or commitment, it was just overnight. Here's what I find to be so true, is that conversion and commitment often happens at God's pace, at a speed that is not always the same. There are times when God comes, and it is like a diesel pickup truck, and you can hear it from a mile away. You can see it. You can feel it. And there are other times where it's like God comes in this whisper and it's a horse and buggy pace. And can we just celebrate that God keeps coming? Whether it's slow, fast, loud, soft, it's the God, he keeps coming. So open your Bibles to Luke chapter 1. I want to show you three ways that Mary responds and commits herself to the gospel, to Jesus. Have you ever thought about that, that Mary is responding to the good news of what is going to be born through her? There are three things. The first thing is, and these will be up on the screen. Number one, there is measured unbelief in her life. And what I mean by that is that when this angel comes 
And the angel begins telling her what is happening. Mary is a little bit confused that this doesn't make sense. She stays in the moment. She is faithful in the moment. What you have in Luke chapter 1 verse 34, what you have with Mary is it says, Mary asked the angel, how in the world can this happen? All right, now, how? Now, there are times where doubt is expressed in the world today, and Christians look upon that doubt, and they see it as a really good thing. The doubt and skepticism can be good. And there are other groups in Christian circles who hear about doubt and skepticism, and they think it's bad. It's a sign of weak faith. Throughout the Bible, the way doubt is talked about is often nuanced. Like it changes. Like there are times when people express doubt and who God is and the response may be, who are you to question who the potter is? You don't question the master. And there are other times where doubt is expressed and it's embraced. There are times the apostles have some doubts and Jesus may say something firm to them. Like, why don't you believe? But Jesus never pushes them away. There are times people come to Jesus and they say, I believe, but help me overcome my unbelief. In Luke chapter 1, Zechariah is told that he's going to have a baby and he's very, very, very old. And he doesn't believe and he, he can't speak for, for almost a year. And here's Mary. How's this going to happen? Because Mary knows about biology. Mary knows how the body works. There's measured unbelief. Mary's in the moment, pretty confused, not really sure what this is going to be like. Number two, what you have in Mary is what I call uncertain surrender. And these are those moments in our lives where we're not really sure what God wants next. We may not know what God wants of us in 2018 or with the job or there may be some strain in a relationship. We're not sure what God wants. But in that uncertainty, we're going to still say yes to God. Mary is uncertain. There's this uncertain surrender. What you have uh, in Luke chapter 1. <clears throat> Excuse me. In Luke 1, what you have with Mary here. Um, Before this, there's the word coming to Mary of what's about to happen. And Mary responds this way in chapter 1, verse 38. She says, I'm the Lord's servant. May everything you have said about me come true. This sounds so similar, almost identical to what Jesus says the night before he was betrayed, where Jesus says, not my will, but your will be done. This is Mary and this uncertain surrender of, I don't know exactly how this is going to play out, but I'm saying yes to my Lord. For Mary to say yes could have some severe consequences in her life. And I think she knew that. Her reputation could be on the line. Who she was in the community was on the line. For her to say yes to God in this moment that there would be a baby who would be born through her. She knew she had never been with the man. But what people would think is she was either with Joseph before they were married or she was unfaithful to Joseph. So she knew her reputation was on the line. There are times where we come to God and our status in the world may not be great. And they say, yes to God, mean your status with friends and coworkers may even go lower. And here's Mary in this moment to say, yes, there could be some severe consequences, but she says yes anyway. There was a conference not too long ago. And in this conference, uh, I, there were two questions that were asked and they're on the screen. Feel free to take a picture of them or I'll send them to you later. Are you willing to obey anything the Bible clearly says to do, whether you like it or not? And the second is this. Are you willing to trust God in anything he sends into your life, whether you understand it or not? For Mary, there's this uncertain surrender. I don't know how this is going to play out. I don't know what this is going to do to me, but I'm saying yes to you. And the third thing, you have active surrender. 
An act of surrender is Mary has had a word of truth spoken into her life and she moves. She's going to do something about it. In Luke chapter 1, 39 and 40, a few days later, Mary hurried to the hill country of Judea to the town where Zechariah lived and she entered the house and greeted Elizabeth, one of her relatives, and she ends up staying there for a while. And it says basically she stays there until it's time for Elizabeth to have a baby. It's like that first contraction comes for Elizabeth and boom, Mary's out of there, all right? She's gone. But she's moving. There's active surrender. She's going to move her feet. She's moving with God. And for some of you, there may be uncertainty of what 2018 looks like or uncertainty in your life. But to say yes to God means that we don't sit still for God. When we say yes, we're going to commit to movement. Movement with our heart, the way we pray, where our feet go. We're committed. Uh, for Mary, <clears throat> I think what's so essential for her life is that she saw... How her past, her present, and her future, she saw what it was in light of what God was doing. Mary was not a young girl who was uninformed about her God by what Anna read earlier. And you see in Mary's Magnificat in, in Luke chapter 1, there were some very clear truths that she's singing that she knew about. Um, so what we're going to do this morning is we're going to provide a way for us to respond. There may, may be someone here and just through what you have witnessed today, you know that this is a day where you don't need to push off a decision any longer. It's a day for you to confess Jesus as your Lord and to be baptized. And I'm willing to jump back in the water. Fawn is willing to jump in the water. If there's someone, a female who would love for Fawn to be, to baptize them, we are willing to get back in the water with you today. And I also know there are some here who the call of God, the invitation of God is for deeper commitment or recommitment or deeper faith. And this is a year where it's time, maybe at the end of the year, for you to reflect on what does it mean for you to be a more faithful husband or wife or spouse or parent? What's it like for you to be a more faithful giver, person of generosity, a more faithful employee? What does it mean for us to increase our prayer lives, our life with God? And there are four tables with pens and paper, and you're invited to go. And, and, and you can write out a few different things. There may be some prayer of recommitment you want to give. There may be um, something that you want to write out that you know does not need to go into 2018 with you. It needs to stay in 2017. Anyway, we can pray for you as you reflect on a year and enter into a new year. As leaders, we want to do that. There are a couple of different ways to think about the future. And it's used two Latin terms. One way to think about the future is futurum. And this is where the future is this natural outcome of what is. And uh, it, it evolves because something in the past has happened. And what has happened in the past we know could also happen in the future. So an example of how futurum works is uh, oncologists, when they give a prognosis for how long a cancer patient has... It's usually based on future and what they're doing is they're basing it on research and past experiences that they can tell you what we have done, what we have noticed with other people who have suffered from the same disease or cancer is that usually their lifespan is in this range. This is also true in forms of therapy or celebrate recovery that there are addictions that you have had in your past and if you keep doing the same things, there are going to be the same consequences. And there are times, even with God, we can look at what God has done in the past and what God's done in the past, God's going to continue doing in the future. Futurum is looking back, though, on the past. If this is what has happened in the past, and, and that's why we think this could also happen in the future. Another way to look at the future is a Latin word, Adventus. Advent U.S. It's where we get our word Advent from. 
And this is a way of looking into the future that says this, that we are waiting for something new and something fresh and something different to break into our present situation. Adventus is an interruption and it is an intervention. It's a miracle that God breaks in and God intervenes. And if you've never noticed before, Joseph and Mary aren't sitting around begging for God to give them a miracle baby. And God may ask of you, just like he asked of Joseph and Mary, he may ask you to do something that you have not asked God for. God may ask something of you today and over this next week that you have not prepared your heart for. Will we say yes? I want to invite our elders and our prayer leaders to go to places throughout the room to receive people. I want to just ask if a couple of our elders will go, we'll just go and stand close to those two tables that are in the, in the middle section there just to be present for people if they need a hug or need a word uh, from you. Let's stand together. We're going to sing a couple of songs and feel free to come as we stand and as we sing.